You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. What's up, watchers? Welcome back to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the podcast where we discuss the movies that we all love, secretly love, and love to hate. I'm your host, Jeremy, along with my brother, Josh, and today we have a real tire smoker of an episode for you guys. And just to remind y'all here at The Watch, we are heavy on the spoilers and like to try and discuss movies that are at least 10 years old or older. At the end of the show, we'll rate these movies in three categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? And number three, for personal enjoyment. Well, Jeremy, I don't know if I'm just getting high on gasoline fumes or if I'm just super excited for today's movie. It might be both, Josh. Today's movie comes roaring in from one of our favorite authors, the horror master himself, Mr. Stephen Rock and Roll King. I hope your car insurance premiums are paid up, and your life insurance for that matter. Everybody buckle up, we're taking a bloody ride in a sweet 1958 Plymouth Fury. Drivers, start your engines. It's time for Christine! Woo-wee! Man, this is better than a 20-core pileup at the Talladega 500! Bring it, son! You know, when I first read that, when you first wrote that, I thought of the Blues Brothers pile of like that, that, nice. that massive one. I was like, oh, is it going with? Oh, wait, Talladega. Never mind. Then well, like, then I was and I wasn't trying to be Ricky Bobby either, but <laughs> help, help me, I, Tom Cruise. I, was, I know. <laughs> help me, Jewish God. <laughs> You're not I know, on I was, fire. I was going to I was going to try to work in, uh, you know, shake and bake. Yeah, right. That almost <laughs> that would that would totally work. That's what I thought you were going with. So, all right, let's see what we got going on today. We're reviewing the awesome movie, Christine. Oh, sorry, it may be awesome. We're not sure if it's awesome. We haven't gotten down to our rating system yet. All right, let's jump right into this. And just a sidebar, I totally embarrassed my family in the other room with my my hillbilly, hillbillying. Uh, they'll get just now. Uh, well, I was gonna say they'll get used, but never, never mind. You're you've been married for quite a while, so if they're not used to it now. No, I'm just going to keep the embarrassment rolling. Okay, back to where you're talking about. All right, let's see what we got here. So we got Christine. It came out in 1983. Uh, John Carpenter was actually kind of on a roll when this came out. So he had Halloween in 1978. And then I think he directed something else. And then and then he directed... <laughs> uh, yeah, and then he had Escape from New York in 81, The Thing in 82, and Christine in 83. Now, 83, really early 80s, in the, in the late 70s, like Stephen King's books were the rights were being sold off to movies before the books were even published. He was that hot of an author at that time. Right. So like anything that he was writing was going to get turned into a movie. And it's interesting the um, the screenwriter of this movie actually had a choice. He could work on Cujo or he could work on Christine. And so he thought the idea of, of a killer dog was stupid. So he went with a killer car, <laughs> which <laughs> right so, so much less so- stupid. So so much scarier. I'm gonna say right up front, <laughs> Stephen King's books very creepy, very scary. It doesn't matter what he writes about most of the time. If he's going for horror, he's gonna get it. It's pretty scary. Sure. Does that tra- well, does that transition to a movie very well? Right. Well, we're gonna find out tonight. Mm. Uh, 
little side note i don't ever find his books scary personally even though he is by far my favorite author it's just i don't know his characters are, are so engaging but i usually if anything like weirds me out or bothers me it's when the like just the regular characters the human characters if they just get crazy on each other that really yeah. weirds me out more than more than some supernatural otherworldly you know horrible thing i think but, the, anyways oh yeah just to I'm going to jump on that rabbit trail real quick, too, that um, I definitely the two books of his that actually creeped me out the most was Gerald's Game and then Lisey's Story. But both of them, though, the scariest parts were dealing with the potentially unknown violence from another human character. Right. And so that but he writes really, really good uh, characters. Yes. Which is what makes them it's scary because you care about the characters. Right. I completely agree. So, OK, let's jump right into it again. Uh, budget nine million. That's about the same as Escape from New York. Box office from this twenty one million, which is kind of funny. That surprised me because this movie was not really well received by critics and by Stephen King fans. Actually, they considered it kind of right. a dud. So I guess everybody went to go see it, kind of like Spider Man three, and then they decided they didn't really like it too much. So right. That was interesting. It's starring uh, Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, Alexandra Paul. And Harry Dean Stanton. I gotta love some Harry Dean Stanton. I didn't realize he's in like every other movie, apparently. He was right, also, right. He was also in Escape from New York. Exactly. All right. I think he's he's kind of like one of those, how certain directors have like their actors they like to use all the time. I kind of feel like he was one for Carpenter. Yeah. And also Stephen King apparently really liked him because he named two prison guards in the Green Mile after harry dean stanton one of them's named harry something and the other one's named dean stanton and harry dean stanton is in the movie the green mile he plays a different character right pretty cool very cool all right moving along all right so i got a ton of trivia but i always drop it way too early so josh (laughs) anything to say before we go into that synopsis well um if i can find my way in my notes back to the synopsis that would be super helpful right now it's easy it's uh, imdb.com <laughs> <laughs> no dang it i actually i i actually wrote up a synopsis here okay i found it do you hear so, that uh, we're getting professional here now we're getting professional now we're, we're actually gonna stop stealing other people's well that's not true i find true no all over bite the your tongue we will continually steal other people's things if it's good we're taking it that's true they're mine <laughs> okay uh yeah so anybody out there if you've already seen this movie love this movie all of that you can go ahead and skip ahead if you don't want to listen to my little synapses here also uh synapsis. there are some parts synapses <laughs> okay sorry i'm yeah you want to try that again <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say something about make fun of uh my my uh is that speechifying a, in the south a, but it's a subconscious matrix reference that's what it is mm. there you go had to sneak it in right every episode every yeah, episode gotta put it in okay no what i was gonna say about the the synopsis is i definitely left some parts out but i'm trying to not take up uh so much time kind of like i am now and uh, so we can get on to discussing the movie but this at least will give you if you're not seeing the movie and you don't care about seeing the movie but you want to know what we're talking about gives you a a good idea and i'm gonna start so here we go the movie begins in 1957 as christine is about to roll off the assembly line in detroit a final inspection is happening and christine manages to injure one worker and kill another now we know what kind of a car she is then it jumps forward to 1978 
a gorgeous 68 Dodge Charger driven by high schooler Dennis Gilder pulls into the driveway of loser nerd Arnie Cunningham. Arnie is dominated by his parents and picked on ruthlessly by kids at school. Dennis is really his only friend. Later that day, after an altercation in shop class, four bullies who are picking on Arnie are expelled from the school. They promise revenge on Arnie for telling on them. Next, on the way home after school, Dennis and Arnie drive by a beat-up old Plymouth Fury. Arnie tells Dennis to pull over and ends up buying the car from an old man named George LeBay. We learn from LeBay that the car's previous owner was his younger brother Roland and that his brother's daughter and wife had both died in that car. Roland also ended up committing suicide in the car as well. None of this deters Arnie as he has fallen head over heels in love with this car. As Arnie restores this car, he slowly begins changing himself. He stops wearing glasses and starts dressing like a 50s greaser. His demeanor grows darker and he gets meaner. He starts dating Lee, the new cute girl at school. This makes Christine jealous and she tries to kill Lee while she and Arnie are at the drive-in. After this happens, the four bullies sneak into the garage where Arnie keeps his Christine and they smash her to pieces. Christine restores herself, hunts down the bullies, and kills them all. At this point, a state police detective starts investigating these events. Arnie has solid alibis, but also has an attitude that shows he doesn't care much about what has happened. He even enjoys hearing that the murders occurred. Lee and Dennis don't like what is happening to Arnie and agree that Christine is deadly. They decide to destroy Christine once and for all. They force a showdown at the garage where Arnie keeps her. Dennis hotwires a bulldozer, and after an intense battle, they manage to flatten her. This is after they discover that Arnie was driving her and participating in trying to eliminate them. Arnie dies after he is thrown through the windshield and impaled with a large shard of glass. Christine is taken to a wrecking yard and put into a car compactor. In the last scene, we see part of her grill start to move, insinuating that she's not dead yet. Ooh, yes. And so, right yes. off the bat, something interesting here. I typed in trying to gather information and, about this film, and the first thing that popped up was Christine's sequel. So I clicked on that, and I was like, there's a sequel to this movie? Maybe like straight to, to DVD or something? Apparently, Stephen King in 2015 announced that he was going to write a sequel called Christine Lives. It has uh. been a few months since 2015. And I haven't heard anything else. So I don't know if it's just like a back burner thing that he's working on or if he's that because right. since Dr. Sleep was so well received, which uh, um, again, that is actually a really, really good book. Um, so yes, excellent book. Yes. And so I thought that was interesting. So we'll see. Hopefully maybe that'll pop up. I don't. I, right. I remember I told you, Josh, that I was going to reread this book before we did the podcast. Yes. I ran out of time. I was reading too much of the Dark Tower series, so I didn't get to it. But um, did you did you start it at all? Get yeah, in, into it at all? Yeah, I read the first hundred pages, and okay. then yeah, I just got distracted. It was actually really good. I didn't even mean to read that much that night. It's it's uh, it's great book. Definitely check it yes. out. This is one book. Oh yeah, let's just jump into where we were when we first. Uh, we totally skipped that by accident. Where right. were you the first time you watched this, Josh? Well, I have to say that until a few days ago when I sat down and watched it straight through, I had not seen this movie straight through. Really? And okay. a, a big part of that is, like a lot of Stephen King fans, I, for a long time, did not like how his horror stories were portrayed in film. 
Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was just really disappointed. So I think two things I've just really, I don't know, in the last six, seven years, just kind of had a, a, a love growing in me for, you know, seventies and eighties horror movies. And oh, right on. So it, there's that and then there's also i hadn't read this book in a while and i was able to go into this movie just i mean i I knew the gist of the story but i I, basically a kind of a clean slate and i wasn't expecting a whole lot um and yeah so i officially saw it all the way through just a few days ago but when i like i've i've mentioned before um when i was working in sacramento um for southwest airlines by the way in case anybody wanted to know (laughs) (laughs) my mysterious job so anyways uh we had on sundays uh a group of my buddies and i uh in between working flights we would uh we had our uh, sacramento international film society club basically and so we we did a lot of of old horror movies and that was part of why i think i really just started to really enjoy these um, so it had been on and I'd seen like bits and pieces of it be- mm-hmm. in between running out to work a flight and stuff like that. So I didn't really give it a, a fair look until recently. Well, it's kind of a slow burn. It's not exactly one that has a ton of showstopper moments, I would say. But mm-hmm. I will say when it pulls out the stops, it pulls out the stops like sure. straight up. I just got to just uh, real quick that that scene when uh, Christine, that car is on fire. I was like, dude, how the heck did they do that? That looks right. amazing. There's no CG in that. Like I was right. like, that is freaking awesome. Like, We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but the practical special effects in this movie dude. are dope. They are so cool. Yeah. I, I that I'm, I'm not going to lie like that. The, the car on fire scene that's driving down the road. It's yeah. Probably one of the coolest scenes that i've seen sequences in a movie in a long time this movie came out in 1983 and i was just like i don't remember that at all when i saw this right Uh, it was it was epic but yeah we'll get back to that scene okay so yeah when was the first time when was the first time you saw this so i watched this movie about 10 years ago i got uh let's see what was 10 years ago yeah 2010 actually realistically it's probably more like 12 years ago i really got into stephen king's books very heavily and started collecting, so anything with his name on it, I would read it. And then watch anything that this was made off of. So I watched a lot of sure. terrible films, and <laughs> <laughs> um, which we're going to talk about a lot of those, because there's so right. many. There's uh, like, oh man, there's so many movies I forgot about. But anyways, yeah, so I read the book, loved the book, and then I read the or watched the movie like uh, right afterwards. And so, yeah, that was probably 2008 when I saw that. So, um. That was when I watched a lot of Stephen King movies. I was kind of in the Stephen King zone, which is interesting because now since it came out in 2017, there's been a Stephen King renaissance. Not as big as the early like 80s, late 70s when he was super high. Right. Right. But it's there and there's a ton of Stephen King fans out there. Shout out. Yeah. So let's. Holla. Right. So I've got a lot to talk about this movie. Let's. Well, real, real quick. What was. Did you like it? when you first saw it oh yeah sorry especially especially after having just read the book did you enjoy it yes actually i did i thought it was one of the movies that actually stuck uh decently well to the the uh, yeah it was good it wasn't right. like terrible god awful but it wasn't amazing but it was good that's what i remember right. so that's I, cool so i went into this movie with a with a fond memory and was excited to see if it would hold up with what i remember of 12 years ago 
or sure. which actually to tell you the truth i actually don't remember most of this movie i just remember that i liked it and i had positive feelings about it that's cool yeah so do we want to talk about the i know we 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 wanted to talk about the language in this movie specifically so do we want to just jump right into that conversation right uh now? No, I have a couple other things to kind of work through as we get to that point. Oh, okay. Excuse me. No, go ahead. So, just basically, like, the way this movie opens, they're playing the song Bad to the Bone. Oh, yeah. And I just immediately, I was like, oh, that's so Stephen King. Because anybody who's read his books, uh, the man is all about rock and roll. Like, he, he his books are so infused with classic rock um and also you know what we consider classic rock now wasn't back then it was actually probably fairly modern right um for the you know for the time stuff coming out in the early 80s and yeah you know the songs weren't that old actually but it uh it just was i was just like wow what a great choice of a song um it's obviously kind of talking about this car a little bit um old cars are super cool and you get that kind of that bad hot rod kind of vibe about it. Oh, and yeah. And also, it, oh, good. No, 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 I was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the other thing is, it's also, you get that feeling of, you know, a teenager a little bit too. Sometimes, uh, you know, when you're feeling awesome as a teenager and you feel super bad to the bone. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of a corny old way to say it, but I could just, you kind of get that vibe as the movie starts to open up and you start to see these characters and they're, you know, upper upperclassmen, they're they're about ready to to be adults, but basically think they are adults already and act, you know, trying to act like them and they're acting super tough. And I think, um, at least from the male perspective, there's definitely a lot of that. Um, you know, as you're in high school and 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 reaching that that time in life. Yeah, that's when the testosterone is hitting on. Uh, it is roaring. It's, it is roaring, hitting on uh, all cylinders, there, folks. Yes. Uh, the other thing I love too, as soon as as you're seeing her rolling off the the uh, um, assembly line, the, fa- the assembly line. Thank you. I say factory line, assembly line. Uh, her radio uh, at one point starts playing. Um, dang it, I just forgot the song too. But an oldie song about uh, about love or whatnot, and it's when the 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 she'd already smashed the dude's arm in the hood of the car oh yeah and then the second guy gets in there and he's 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 liking the song and he flicks his cigar ash and lands on the seat yeah what was up with that i kind of honestly to tell you the truth i i i call call bs on that because i'm like why would you bring a freaking lit cigar into a brand new i feel like he would have gotten fired so i don't blame her for killing him actually <laughs> i'm just like <laughs> I'm just like, well, like seriously. I mean, it's a bright red car. Come on, like smoking. You know that thing's gonna pull in some money, right? Uh, yeah. But it happened in the movie. Yeah, yes, but it also, it definitely it immediately sets up that music is gonna be a big part of this movie, and that whatever is playing in her radio in the in the in the car, that is definitely saying what her mood is or what she's feeling in the moment. Which it, it's obvious, but I just thought that was such a cool cool thing to see do you do you remember was that part of it in the book as well you know unfortunately in the first hundred pages that i read um i didn't really get into that no but i actually did want to talk about the music as well because john carpenter is as we know a composer as well as a writer and director and he was credited with composing this music along with somebody else who i forgot his name but uh, this is interesting because this movie does not have a theme 
I was listening right. specifically, and like the opening sequences when they show all of the credits, there's no music. You just hear the right. car start up and the, the engine roll, and that I thought was very unusual because John Carpenter is very famous for his music in his right. movies. He has got great themes, and the fact that there's the the theme in this music is all of the '50s doo-wop love songs. Right. And it's a big deal. And so I thought that was actually really cool that John Carpenter took a back seat. Hey, that's a pun. To Hey. Hey, hey. Uh, to Stephen King's writing to allow the movie, I'm sorry, to allow the songs that are in Stephen King's books to play the main part of like the doo-wop music is like the theme for Christine. Right. It's very true. I actually made a note of it that as soon as his scoring came in, yeah, we're at the, we're just about at thirty six minutes into the movie. Yeah, and that that synthesizer starts coming in. Yeah, which always gets me excited because I love it. And that's, but it, I thought it was interesting because by that point you almost forget that it's a Carpenter movie because he has such a distinct feel. And not to say that he doesn't have his his fingerprints on this movie. Um, but one one note that I made and I'll probably come back to it later, is that I feel like this movie is more King than Carpenter. Yeah, I no, I 100% agree. I definitely felt that. And it's it's tough because I, I love Stephen King. I really love John Carpenter. And I, you know, there's a part of me that would wish that there was a little bit more of John Carpenter in it, but it probably would have taken away from letting that Stephen King vibe come through as strong as it did. Yeah, I think it is a little misleading when it says, uh, John Carpenter's Christine, right? It's, it is directed by him, but I really feel like this. This actually calls to the craftsmanship of John Carpenter of him not having an ego, and maybe this is all BS, but this is my opinion that um, that he just actually was like, you know what? He was friends with Stephen King, and so he was like, you know, let's make this movie the best Stephen King movie that I can do, and I thought that was cool actually, and I felt like this movie directly. It feels a lot more Stephen King than a lot of Stephen King's books, and that's why I want to talk about the language in this movie, uh, yes. at, actually, but um, we'll jump into that when you're ready. Sure. I was going to say I did notice on uh, on the interwebs when I was also doing a little bit of research, but apparently um, Carpenter was picked to do this movie, but then was unavailable because he was actually working on the adaptation for another Stephen King movie, Firestarter. Oh yeah. So he was working on that. And then also an adaptation of another book, um, by Eric Van Lustbader called the Ninja. Oh yeah. Uh, I have, I've not read that, but I've heard of it. Okay. So, and then they eventually came back to, to Carpenter. He was able to work on it. And, um, yeah, this is a funny quote here. It says, in retrospect, Carpenter stated that upon reading Christine, he felt that it just wasn't very frightening, but it was something I needed to do at the time in my career. That actually makes a lot of sense because, let's see, you got Escape from New York, which was received well. Right after right. that, you have The Thing, which we won't talk about because we're going to review that at some point. Yes. And then, Can't wait. And then we have Christine, which is probably his biggest movie so far because when he did Halloween, he was an independent director. And I know he's probably most famously remembered for Halloween, well, in certain circles, but sure, um, yeah. So this that makes sense though. That actually doing Christine or something like that would actually make sense because Stephen King was like they sold the rights to the movie and started making the film before the movie even. Or, I'm sorry, before the book even came out. Right. So the, oh, one one thing real quick. Uh, correct me on this for sure, but 
uh, I saw that like the main there's a there's several major differences actually from the book to the movie. One of the biggest ones is in the movie, Christine, they have the extra scene at the beginning where she has always been evil. The car has always been evil. And in right. the book, it's actually, Le, what's his name? Lefray? Well, okay, so this is where it's a little bit, well, I guess this part's kind of the same. So you have, um, you have the old man, George LeBay, who he buys George. it from. What's his the, brother's name the, again? Roland. Which Roland. little little uh, tidbit here for which all you Stephen King fans know Stephen King always references other characters and other things in his books. Like his he references other characters and other books in his that he's written in his current book that you're reading. Hmm. Plus he always and I, I I wish I was a bigger Stephen King nerd, but allegedly he always references the Dark Tower in some way in each of his books. Also. Really, I whether didn't know that. whether it's a character or a land or something having to do with the Dark Tower series, and that has so, to do with Roland of of, of yeah. Gilead. That makes so, sense. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I, I did. Uh, that seems a little far far stretching, though. To be honest, I think like that was since he he had only written the first book when this book came out. So and he didn't really know what he was going to go with the story yet. So I wonder if he like. This is me just totally nerding out for a second, but I wonder if he like retroactively rewrote his older books into it as the Dark Tower series came out over the 30 years that it took for him to write the series. Like I said, I haven't, I've noticed it in, in a lot of the books, but I haven't, you know, really, really anyways, any huge, any big Stephen, right. But any Stephen King nerds out there, please, we'd love to hear your two cents throw it up on uh yeah that'd be great facebook or instagram or something be cool to get a discussion going on that that would be fantastic uh, i'd love to know that but the younger brother roland anyways whoever had the car first and i think it, i think it still was a younger brother that had the car because I, I had to read the cliff notes on this just to refresh because i also didn't get a chance to reread the book mm. before we did this but um yeah in the book it's basically it's the spirit of roland or the brother that had the car that his his family died he kind of basically sacrificed his family so that he could live on forever because i remember as, as a ghost in the car basically so he's he's an absolutely evil dude and then the car just kind of takes on his evilness right which is why the car breaks down uh, and just after he dies the car just goes into disrepair and then right. when andy andy arnie <laughs> Arnie, good old Andy. I'm thinking of Parks and Recs, Andy Dwyer. Anyways, <laughs> when um, Arnie takes the car, takes a liking to it, then it starts to feed off of him and it comes back alive. And so yes. that's why it keeps going. And in the movie, they skip it to have the car just be possessed itself, which actually I think is a smart move screenplay-wise. Right, because it, absolutely. Too much time would be explained on it. Also, too, like how... The evil, evilness, not even the ghost, but like Stephen King gets really good at explaining the nastiness of certain characters. So when you're reading it, you feel dirty because you know this guy, this guy is a piece of poo and he's just disgusting. And that goes in with the language, which we'll get into eventually. (laughs) Yes. You know, let's just, let's just get in there now. I, um, this early Stephen King books to me, there's, there's a real, um, how did I say it in my um, notes here? That's that's really rough and crass, and yes. there's just the language that he uses. There's just a ton of profanity. Um, as he gets older as a writer, 
you start to see that just kind of get a little more tasteful. Um, yeah. Over the year, I'm just buttoning in real quick. Over the years, the I would say even the last 10 years compared to his first several books, I read The Shining and Dr. Sleep back to back, back, back to back, and... <laughs> That's a special technique, boys and girls, where right. you hold both both books together, and it's called bap to bap. Right, exactly. And you <laughs> that was terrible. I feel so awkward right now. <laughs> so I do too. And so, anyways, uh, yeah, just the comparison of him growing as an author because he's been an author for like literally fifty years now. So yeah. he has grown tremendously. So, anyways, back to you, Josh. Go ahead. So you you just have that real kind of crass roughness like i was saying in the language but i also feel like and, and he also um as another example you know he wrote carrie that was the first book that got published oh yeah and also was you know a hit as a movie and it also this that movie focused a lot on bullying basically and to, uh high school life and how rough that can be and then you get that again here in christine with this nerd kid and gets picked on and the revenge factor and whatnot um which i think is a little bit interesting i i read a our autobiography about him and from what i could see he was actually a pretty popular kid in school so mm-hmm. he definitely wasn't the the kid that was picked on and everything and hmm. maybe he was being a little kind in his uh remembering maybe he was the bully <laughs> but maybe. it sounds like he was a little bit of like the clown almost and just like this big huge goofy guy who was just you know more or less pretty likable well he has to be likable i mean he's well liked by lots of people in many different industries so that makes oh sense. yeah yeah he's he seems like a very legit dude very, was, very approachable person i don't tend to like to like i i don't really care about celebrities like oh let me get my picture let me get an autograph but he's actually somebody i'd love to go meet i yeah. would that'd be cool i would i would go up and you know introduce myself <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, going back to the language, so the other thing that's, I mean, I think for a lot of kids, by the time, you know, growing up, I mean, you're you're ex- experimenting with profanity. And even if you live in a really conservative home, I and mean, we lived in a really conservative home, and mm-hmm. um, I still, depending on what friends I was around, I mean, I was trying out, you know, swear words left and right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then it's just, I think it's just part of growing up. It's just what, what you do. And especially by the time you get to high school, man, you're cursing like a sailor. I mean, you're, you're over cursing. Like you think you're being an adult, but it's just, yeah, no, no. You know, well, until you, until you come to work on the ramp at Southwest airlines and then you'll, you'll see that never changes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I felt like this movie definitely captured that, that aspect, aspect, aspect of, see, of high school life. Shake it right now. <laughs> I can't, man. I got my, ugh, need more coffee. Anyways. Um, so that, I felt like that definitely was, uh, he hit the nail on the head, whether it was Carpenter or, or just the, the screenwriter, it just definitely captured the way, the style that, that King would portray at, you know, the being in high school and what that's like. So I thought it worked really good. Um, even though it, there's a lot of profanity, but it definitely feels right as far as that's just kind of high school life it, for a lot of kids. I'm not saying every kid that has, you know, in high school was that way, had a dirty mouth, but no, it Josh, is. every kid. <laughs> every Okay, all right. <laughs> you, don't, you hear you that, girls? Not, you may not say it, but you might be going to bed at night, and you're like, gotta, gotta say it. Uh, okay, so one thing. In the movie, there, you you first hear it in the movie when the, the old man who, who owns Christine, 
he he's talking to Dennis and he's kind of breaking down the history of the car and the people that died and whatnot. And he ends up kind of snapping at Dennis. And uh, I'm going to say it, man. I'm going to say it. for the first time on the Midnight Watch podcast, I'm going to use a cuss word. Watch out, guys. Here it comes. Cuss word's coming up. But he calls he calls him a, um, a shitter. And mm. it's in such a way that it's like a special word almost. And in the book, this word gets used a lot. And it's kind of like it was the word that the, the character Roland, who first owned the car, who was an evil person and basically sacrificed his family so that he could live forever. It was a word that he would use to describe anyone that disagreed with him or got in his way. And it was, it was like extra derogatory. It was, it was very much a way of, of putting a person down, um, really describing them as being dirty and worthless. You know, everyone is beneath Christine and, and him. And yeah. so you see the next owner, which is his brother. He uses that word. And then by the time Arnie really starts putting time into Christine and you start to see him, I would say evolve, but sort of de-evolve. Uh, he starts using that word. Ooh, I, think word, I think the word that you're looking for for him is de-evolved. Okay, never mind. Continue. Oh, there we Sorry, go. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dude, we're we're dropping the bomb on our jokes tonight, <laughs> and I still I just messed that up too. Dropping the bomb. We're dropping the ball. <laughs> oh <Okay>. man. Oh okay. <laughs> okay Any, anywho, moving along. <laughs> So it's just, to me, it was interesting that the language really does kind of play a part in this movie. Yeah. More, more so than just carrying the dialogue along. along. Yeah. So what I, I, I totally agree. And the, the thing I, that really stuck out to me when I was watching this movie was Stephen King has a very specific style. That's why I brought it up where it's like, where you feel, you feel gross and nasty when like certain characters are talking. And the reason he, he's very, he doesn't censor himself at all when he's talking like certain things. And so like, you can't, I would say you cannot read these books out loud uh, because sure. they'd be like, Hey, you can't say that. So, but, <laughs> um, but they, and so I thought this is the first movie and I'm excited because over this next year, we're going to go, we're going to actually review a lot of Stephen King movies, but this is the first movie I saw where it like distinctively the language and the style of talking in this movie is very much Stephen King's writing, like straight from the book. Yeah, they didn't soften it at all. And actually, I have a cool note here. To, according to Bill Phillips, um, the movie actually this is another thing. Most of the violence is off screen. This is not a bloody movie at all. Like, right? I think the bloodiest scene in the movie is when Arnie gets stuck with some glass and he pulls it out, and that's also off screen when he pulls it out. Right. And so most of this movie, the violence is off screen. So it was actually going to be PG because the PG thirteen rating wasn't out yet, and so they actually intentionally made the language in this movie harder and added the F-bomb in this movie a lot more to keep it R-rated because it has to be R-rated if it's Stephen King. No, you're not going to go see sure. a Stephen King movie. Well, especially especially then because yeah. he was so edgy. He was so... He was the cool, sexy new writer. Yeah, no, that's very <laughs> true. I thought that was interesting. And so I, I actually really enjoyed the crassness and the... Like just it's just open crassness of this movie, right. and I, I it's shocking. It's it's really shocking. Sure, and but it feels real though. It does feel real, and I I thought that was fantastic. And a lot of these actors at the time were no names. They specifically casted actors right. that were nobodies. And to be honest, I didn't recognize any in this movie except for um, Harry Dean Stanton. I know yeah. that the main actress 
Alexandria, I forgot her name. Alexandria Paul has been in several other things too. And uh, Keith Gordon, who plays Arnie, I think is he's transferred to being more of a director now instead of an actor. But anyway, I thought they all did a great job, actually. Yes, that was something I noticed right away in my notes. I just was like, man, the acting isn't bad. No, especially because uh, like high school movies are hit or miss. And sure. they, I thought they all did a great job. And there's one part too. My wife pointed out that. When Arnie's talking to, what's his what's his face? His best friend, Dean, Dennis. Daniel Dennis. Yeah, when he's talking to Dennis, and Dennis is in the the hotel, I'm sorry, <laughs> the hotel, the <laughs> hospital bed, same thing. And right. his eyes like change when he's like halfway through his conversation when he starts talking about start, starts talking about Christine. And I thought that was really cool. And so like yeah, they did a, a good job acting in this movie for sure. Right. Well, in the in the book, as the more time that Arnie spends with Christine at first you see him kind of get cooler and he ends up, you know, looking more like a fifties, uh, greaser, you know, rock, rock and roll dude. And, but the more time that he's with Christine and it's like the more, I don't know, love he puts into her, he starts deteriorating and he starts looking like an old man. I think in the book, you start to see like his hair starts to thin. Oh, really? Uh, teeth, teeth start to fall out and he's just, he's just the, the parasitic relationship has really taken a physical toll on him. But in the movie, it's more um, in his mannerisms. And But you do see it in the eyes though. That's the one thing. Because at first I was just a little bit disappointed. I was like, oh man, you don't see him deteriorate. But you do just notice by the end of the movie, or at least the second half of the movie, his eyes are really, like the circles around his eyes, like his, his just eyes are really sunk in. There's a lot of dark. Yeah. You know, makeup, I guess. But anyways, it just shows like, man, something's really wearing on him. I thought it was interesting because I will say this in the first hundred pages of the book. They really hammer down the fact that Arnie is ugly and they uh, he's ugly because he has so much acne. Right. And in the movie, the actor, Keith Gordon, has no acne at all. And sure. I'm, I mean, good for him. But I, I was kind of surprised that they didn't do any special effects or anything like that. Just to right. show that like, would have been such an easy thing to do. I just uh, was kind of surprised, though, that they completely cut that out. And so that could have been kind of something easy. But sure. Anyways. But they definitely they definitely set up in that first scene where you see him. He he's a dork. Like he is. So he's uncoordinated. He's he's your classic movie nerd. I mean, Revenge of the Nerds like he would fit right in. Yeah. Yeah, he would. All he got the Coke, the Coke bottle glasses. And he's yeah, he's there. All he needed was like a really good, awkward laugh. Right yeah you're about thought, to say something yeah i i just so this movie they're all supposed to be seniors because it takes place over september through december i think i don't know if it goes any farther beyond that this movie came out at christmas by the way uh do you know if it came if uh because it, it says every couple scenes it'll say september and then it'll say october did it go past december or is the movie ended in december uh dang it i feel like it went into the new year i, I thought so I too feel like it it went into 79 well anyways they're still in high school and so some of these people that are high school students are buying beer and i was like how the heck are they buying beer you know like that like i gotta be 21 for that and then i actually looked it up and apparently literally the next year in july president ronald reagan passed the law of changing the from being 18 to 21 to drink so i was like oh that's interesting well not only that i think it was just a heck of a lot easier to go buy beer and cigarettes and stuff um i remember dad telling me a story when he was a little kid i mean a a grade schooler 
and grandma would send him to the the corner store to buy her cigarettes <laughs> yeah and there's the you know the store owner just you know oh hey here you go say hi to your mom you know just wow. <laughs> it was just a yeah. lot a lot more trusting back then so i think it would have been a lot easier for somebody to roll in there and be like oh it's for my dad something that really oh uh, two things uh the the character who played george lebay the the cranky old man uh, a guy named roberts blossom mm-hmm. what a cool character actor oh really? he he was super fun like just in the movie i just thought he was such a cool cranky old man kind of a character and uh it turns out that's basically what his entire career was was playing the cantankerous old man character <laughs> like oh, every movie <laughs> yeah oh man so so he was just always that that kind of character he was um, born with an old face yeah basically okay so the the biggest thing and this totally surprised me i didn't feel this way when i read the book um but what really surprised me in this in watching this movie was I just started remembering back to when I got my first car, mm. which was uh, our grandparents' car. It was a 1973 Pontiac Le Mans, mm. yes. mustard yellow, got the small block Chevy V8 dual exhaust with Magnaflow mufflers on it. And like, I, I just, that car was totally everything to me it was freedom it was identity it was a cool factor it was the bandwagon it was a mobile makeout station i mean it <laughs> it, it <laughs> something like that and, and not not just because that car was specific you know particularly cool or not because i know other people who was like oh man i had a, an 86 corolla that car was awesome and it's right. just that experience of having that freedom and it's 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 like a, a person in your life and then a lot of times you, know, you end up naming that car yeah no that's true i mean your car was actually cool mine was a 95 uh mazda protege that the muffler <laughs> was falling out and the freaking thing smoked more than a chimney but it was i mean i did name it yeah, i named it the boss it was a manual it was a ton of fun uh, right it freaking rolled for a long time dude yeah so yeah. i feel you i think you're absolutely right it really connected with that your first car freedom yeah that's awesome so it, i just wasn't expecting that and i don't know if it's just where i'm at in my life and i i just made me think back to that that time in my life but i thought the movie captured the importance of that and just just the cars in that movie in general i mean not only christine is obviously a character but um like the that you see that 68 charger that blue 68 charger roll up the one that dennis drives that car is sexy that is such oh, a cool yeah. looking car and i think also and i've heard other people talk about this too but cars and movies up until you know i don't know probably honestly the, the fast and the furious are probably the last movies that really cars were a big deal in the movie but before that cars had such a heavy presence in movies because mm-hmm. it was such a I don't know, impactful thing in your life, um, more so than, than they kind of are today for, for some people. But, uh, I mean, heck, we're trying to get, a lot of people are trying to get rid of cars, so everything's just autonomous, and you just hop in, it drives you everywhere. That's just a different mindset and different time right. in life, for sure. But the cars in this movie really, really stand out. I mean, obviously, Christine, but that that Charger, and then later, the one of the bullies, he's driving a, a super sweet uh either a 67 or 68 camaro i think mm. right but it's uh before uh she bursts into flames yes she's yes. chasing him down in that and they're they got some cool cool car stuff going on there 
Yeah, that's really cool, actually, too. When the Christine actually, the guy gets out of the car, and he's like, "This dude's chasing us," and then Christine just freaking rams the crap out of that car. Oh yeah, and it was cool for that scene. Actually, I did a little research, and it said that they actually took the engine out of that car when Christine rammed right. it to make the car light, light lighter, right? And and an impact more impactful. So yeah, it's dude. So they had over twenty eight different Plymouth Furies. Uh, I was gonna get into that. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. No, Do it. No, 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 you go ahead. I'm. Uh, you're the car. The car guy. Go for it. So, uh, there was that the large amount of cars that they collected, but then they basically pieced from what I was reading. They pieced together 17 of them, mm-hmm. were specifically for the movie. Uh, several of which were destroyed. Because my thought as I'm watching this, I was like, oh man, how many Furies did they destroy to make this movie? Because I, I know like like with uh, the show Dukes of Hazard, like they just destroyed so many of those Chargers yeah. for the show. Or like Knight Rider. There was Firebirds that were just, you know, mangled all the time for oh, the show. Yeah. So I was just thinking like, man, how many did they destroy? Because uh, I'm definitely a, a car buff. And uh, so anyways, yeah, 17 were used for the movie. Some of them uh, of the cars were actually Plymouth Savoys and Belvedere's that yeah. were modified to look like the Fury. Um, and just in case anybody wanted to know, they, those are all basically the same car. They're just different trim levels. I didn't know that. That's interesting. And they, uh, as far as like the special effects go, like whenever the car got, got all smashed together and then they show her like re- or her fixing herself. Oh yeah, that's such a cool Re- scene. regenerating. Yeah, and it was just—it's all basic, simple. Um, just playing the scene in reverse. They would smash it and then just play the film backwards, and everything would pop out the way it was supposed to be. So there was just a ton of that being used. Well, I, um, okay. though I, I guess they built one rig though for when the whole grill pops back into place. They actually took the engine out on that car and put some kind of like hydraulic arm inside it to push it or to pull it in, in in and then also to push it back out well that was actually i've got some news on that one that is a mock-up that was in plastic to look, it actually looked more like metal on camera than actual metal and they were the pumps were attached to cables and they were, i'm just reading this real quick this is not my wording which were in turn attached to the car's bodywork, and when they were compressed they would suck the paneling inwards inwards right and then of course play it in reverse which as i was watching it i was like yeah they totally just played this in reverse it's a cool sequence still. It, it is. That's why I love movie magic is because when they pull off a, a scene, they pull off a scene. You're just like, right. I know. And that's why either yeah, I know how they did it from like watching enough making some movies. But still, you're just like, oh, that's so freaking cool. That's ingenious. It is. Well, it's just there was like there was artistic manual craftsmanship yeah. ship, blah, blah, that went into that versus and nothing, nothing against CGI and the, you know, the hours that are spent at a computer making it look awesome that's that's great and i'm not taking away from that but it's actually it really is cheaper and easier to do that now than it is to do the practical stuff like lighting her on fire the car on fire and oh the car driving God. around i mean there yeah. was a real stunt man wearing a fireproof suit in there and driving the car that was on fire i mean not just a little on fire it was engulfed in flames oh, dude yeah it was such an impressive scene and somebody actually did that versus these days uh, the liability of that guy, the driver might die, and oh, yeah, it, everything it that would go digital. into shooting that shot. Yeah, they would have to do it digitally, right? And it also saves on time and different stuff. But that's why I was like, that scene is so cool. So yeah, I will say, whether you like Stephen King, whether you like Cars or whatever, 
Google that sequence or watch the movie just for that. It's so freaking cool. That scene where the right. car is on fire, pulls out of an explode. Which, by the way, they built that entire gas station specifically to blow it up. To blow it up. That was an epic explosion, dude. That yeah. that was such a good that explosion. Was a, that was to me. I was like, this is a Robert Rodriguez gas station explosion. Oh yeah, like, for it, sure. Yeah, you you know where Robert Rodriguez got some uh, some some uh, inspiration from. Oh dude, yeah, that was so freaking cool. I thought I thought that was freaking awesome though. But anyways, yeah, continue. So, right before that though, a little uh, shout out here to to <laughs> John Carpenter's music writing again. The before that group of bullies, there was it was three of them because there was four all together, but three of them ended up dying in that whole sequence. Two in the car, one of them was worked at the gas station that they pulled into. But the first bully they that Christine he, runs down. I just realized that that the fourth bully was the guy working at the gas station. I thought it was just some right. random. I was like, "Oh, some random guy got killed." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. So then, uh, but the first one is uh, the character's name was Mookie, and Christine basically is just chasing him. He's running on foot, and she's chasing him. And um, but during that whole sequence where where she's running him down, driving him down as he's running, the carpenters music kicks in and it's got this awesome um i I don't know he just does great running music (laughs) the character's running and it's just this music yeah it is it's just suspenseful running music and it's so him and uh, as soon as that kicked in you're just definitely like okay we're watching john carpenter right now oh yeah i also like that sequence too at the end when you're waiting for they're wait. They're in waiting for Christine to show up, and then all of a sudden her lights flip on when they're inside the the station because they're gonna they're gonna try to run her over with the the huge catapulter, and it's it's oh the right the bulldozer. the bulldozer yeah, and so then her lights flip on, and you realize she's been in there all along, and then like that music kicks in, and you're like yes. oh snap, which is it's it immediately you the stakes you feel the stakes of at hand of what's going on, even though right. Even though, to be honest, if you stay in the bulldozer, you're probably fine. But Right. <laughs> but, but anyways, I don't remember Arnie dying in the book. Does that? Did they mention in the cliff notes if Arnie actually dies in the book? So I guess what happens is when they defeat Christine, Arnie's actually elsewhere. And then um, it's one of those, it's, it's one of Stephen King's kind of quick let's tie up all the loose ends kind of an ending where uh they think they destroy christine but then arnie is somewhere else and then he mysteriously is killed in a car accident mm-hmm. um that sounds like it was christine and then it kind of finally comes down to uh dennis is like i'm probably next is kind of how the book ends that's interesting because in the book though it's christine is feeding off of the people the driver's life force and in right. the movie, that didn't make sense. She's just an, um, just an ent- she's just a demonic entity. Yeah, without they don't actually go into that, but that's totally what she is. She's she's a demon. She got demons. She's a <laughs> demon possessed car. Yeah, but then, okay. So we're gonna talk about cheesy real quick. All right, the ending of this movie. Okay, so I was watching this movie and I'm like, this movie's actually really serious. Like it doesn't go for cheap laughs for cheap scares. It plays right. it seriously. It's more of a drama, I would say, with a killer car in it. And I think that's actually why uh, it just it plays pretty well. And then the last scene in this movie, you have the detective show up randomly and they're just looking at Christine after she's been squished together as as junk. Right. And they're just talking. And I'm like, first of all, 
the detective, why would he even be like, oh, yeah, you know, that makes sense. He would have found Arnie's dead body and been like, okay, so Arnie tried to kill them and then they ended up destroying right. the car. So they're probably going to jail too. But that would be, there's, it'd be a lot more convoluted of an ending. But then the, the movie, they're just like, yep, yep. And then the, yeah. that's, that's it. And I was like, um, that, that actually was really, I think it's a horrible it was, ending. It was terrible. And I just, as soon as Lee says, I hate rock and roll. I was like, someone needs to slap that girl. That is. <laughs> That's so Bite funny. your tongue. Yeah, my la- my wife started laughing. She was like, that is the best line ever. She's like, I hate rock and roll. And I was like, dude, that's the freaking 50s doo-wop music. No, All right. That's pretty funny. Well, I definitely feel like it's not Carpenter's best work. But it's like, I do feel like it was kind of a solid movie. I don't feel like it was his best work. Like I said earlier, I definitely feel like it's more King than Carpenter. Though you do see Carpenter's, you know, touches you know often in the in the movie but it definitely doesn't feel like it's his movie yeah no i definitely agree are you ready to roll into the final uh final part of the yeah let's let's rapidly wrap it up here so All right. do you think it hit the mark in 83 uh well okay so we talked about this before did it make money yeah it made its money back to twice the amount so technically it was a yeah technically it was uh, it hit its mark but no, it didn't because a lot of fans did not like it. So right. uh, I gave it a, uh, I'll give it a C because it made its money. So that's always good. It was not a box office bomb, but right. it was not well received. So I give it a C. I, man, I struggle with that too. Cause based on, on the money, I would, I would have given it a B, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on giving it a C as far as what the critics and the fans themselves kind of felt about it. Yeah. So obviously they all went and saw it and just were disappointed. <laughs> so yeah, it's probably a C cause it's not, a, it's not a bad movie. It's not terrible. Uh, but if you were a huge fan of the book and especially when that book had just come out and it was a bestseller. Yeah. I could see where you would be disappointed that it, it left kind of a lot out. There's a whole organized crime kind of a thing, a uh, sub story that was in the book also mm-hmm. that was not completely, it was barely hinted at in the movie, but Oh yeah, when he's running parts for the guy that yeah. he, that the uh, used the guy that owns the the garage that he parks Christine at that yeah. guy was like a total like minor league mobster. Gotcha. So there was there was that whole thing going on. But anyways, uh, so yes, I agree with you. I I would say it was probably a C when it came out. Uh, what about now? Do you think it hits? The, is it relevant now? Did it hit the mark now? Uh, relevant now it is a cult classic now there's definitely a following for this specifically people that like cars right the, yeah there's a there's a i wouldn't it's not a huge cult classic though like people that <laughs> people that were around when this movie came out know this movie but if you talk to anybody under the age of 30 probably they probably unless unless they're stephen king fans if you're not a stephen king fan you right. probably, probably haven't heard of this movie or john even if you're john <laughs> I was- I was just talking to a buddy at work today. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, we're doing Christine tonight. He's all, what? It's like, <laughs> right. I don't know that movie. <laughs> right. Even if you're a John Carpenter fan, I you don't think of this movie. So, right. uh, it's a cult classic. But you, but you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't know. Like, it's, yeah. unless, like you said, unless you're a Carpenter fan, unless you're a King fan, it's, it's not like it. I mean, it is an iconic movie from the 80s, but it's definitely not, you know, The Shining or yeah. uh, Carrie. Well, I don't yeah. even know if people would know Carrie necessarily, except yeah. that they did a remake recently, but I don't Wait, know. Yeah, I agree. Fini- so, finish finish your thoughts. Yeah, but, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll give it a C. Yeah, for right. if, if it's still, yeah, what about you? 
Uh, I also gave it a C because I agree that now it really is only a, a cult classic, you know, cult 80s movie. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, unless you're into those movies, you're really not going to know about it necessarily. Um, though I feel like this movie has a solid nostalgic feel because it totally gave me the feels big mm-hmm. time. Okay. So I really, I really, you know, I thought that was great. And I think I could see that's why it would be that cult classic it's such um, a it's such a niche film though nowadays because it's not cheesy, it's not gory, and it's not sexual. So it really you're either a Stephen King fan, you're a John Carpenter fan, or you've seen this movie before, right? So yeah, uh, it's it's definitely a, a niche cult cult classic. I just had one little thought that it it's definitely an '80s movie that's in love with the '50s. Yeah, um, yeah. I. I know there was kind of like a real resurgence of love for the fifties in the late seventies and early eighties. You had like, uh, Brian Setzer's band, the stray cats oh, kind of yeah. blew up. You had the movie grease. You had oh, George yeah. Lucas's American graffiti. Uh, you had back to the future. So you had a lot of this, like, you know, the fifties were super cool. Yeah. In that in that late seventies, early eighties. So I had another thought, and you've actually brought this up before with different movies, like, hey, could you remake this movie today? Oh yeah. And I don't think so with this one. I think you could have retold this movie in the nineties, in the early two thousands, I think you could have told it even. Yeah. But I feel like today it it doesn't really work. And in twenty twenty. I've also read some recent recently read articles and watched some some videos about rock and roll is totally at like an all time low. It's not huge in pop culture mm-hmm. like it was even five ten years ago. Uh, you kids these days aren't as motivated to get their driver's license. I happen to have a said teenager who's just she's just not in a hurry to get her driver's license, and I I think that was something that I couldn't wait to get. Yeah, um, and not that there aren't kids today that that do want to get their driver's license, but there's just a lot that are very relaxed about it. I don't know if it's because of Uber and Lyft, but yeah, I don't think this movie would translate as well and have the emotional impact. No, that's actually really fascinating. I didn't think about it. That's a great point. Yeah. It's def- it definitely, it, it speaks to people of a certain age, which is funny to be a person saying that. <laughs> right. Personal right. enjoyment. Personal enjoyment. Okay. So uh, this one, watching it again, uh, this one actually, it's a slow. It's another slow burn. I was surprised at like how slow paced this movie is for the majority of the film. So, I I would give this movie a C. Uh, personal enjoyment. It's a solid film. Definitely. Um, is did I like it as much as when I first saw this? Probably actually. Like I did. Yeah. I did enjoy it. It's a good film. I was looking forward to rewatching it. Be but at the same time though, I would never just like pop this movie in and be like oh yeah i want to watch christine tonight we kind of actually rewatched it on the intention of we're going to review it so yeah i give it a c it was a solid film what about you i <laughs> i feel like i consistently rate, rate personal enjoyment higher so i don't yeah. I, think it's, I think it's kind of a problem maybe i'm uh, depressed who knows i don't <laughs> no i just think when you give a higher rating it's going to be more impactful than you know oh, there's josh he's got another high rating well maybe it could also be like hey oh josh really hated that movie i need to watch that movie now <laughs> <laughs> that could be um dude it's just another movie that it got me so pumped emotionally just like i said think bringing me back to when i had my first car and all the experiences with that so i gave it a b I mean, I, I like I like the book. I'm with you. I haven't read it in in at least ten or twelve years, but I 
honestly, I mean, when you look at a screenplay version of a book, mm-hmm. and he doesn't tend to write small books. Um, I mean, no. he does short stories, obviously. But this was a decent-sized novel, and I thought the, you know, the screenplay version was pretty good. I think it's funny you mentioned that, though, actually. I feel that most of the time, Stephen King's better movies are based off his short stories um, or novellas sure. because he is... It's just... It's then it's easier for somebody to a screenwriter to actually convert it into a movie format. Yeah. Instead well, of it gives them it gives them wiggle room. They can actually add a little bit if they want. Yeah. Um, versus how much we're we gonna cut out of this thing. Yeah. They can they can totally like oh let's let's make it a little bit more. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I think that about wraps it up uh, for yeah. Chris. Good old Christine. Oh, real quick, Christine. It's named after uh, Christine Romero, George Romero's wife, since Stephen King was friends with George Romero for. They did a lot of stuff together in the 80s. Right. Maybe that was something else we were looking at. That is where the name Christine comes from, because they don't say it in the movie, and I didn't finish reading the book again, so I, I'm not sure about that. All right, so we are up for the quote of the day for the clue for the next week's episode. So here you go, guys. Let's do it. What's your name, kid? The human spider. The human spider? That's it? That's all you got? Uh, Yeah. Oh, that sucks. The sum of $3,000 will be paid to the terrifying, the deadly, the amazing. And that's all you get for the quote. So, right. That next, that next one would just, it's too easy. It's too easy. Yeah. No. So absolutely. So you got to, you know, check it out. Guess uh, also too. Yeah. <laughs> Subtle clue. Which one? <laughs> Which, one <are> we- <laughs> <laughs> Which one of what are we talking about? Yeah, so that's it. So uh, we're going to stop talking now. But that's it for today. If you want to check out this movie, I uh, I actually did have to rent it on Amazon Prime. What and I say? rented it on iTunes. Oh, how much did you pay for it? Three ninety nine. dollars uh, Which yeah. I feel like is a little... <laughs> That's kind of a lot for a, <laughs> an old 80s movie that's not very popular. Oh, I actually so. watched this movie in 4K. and Oh, man. Yeah, it wasn't, Fancy. Worth, wasn't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we'll blame it on my TV. All right. Well, special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared with your friends or family or anybody you think that would enjoy it. Yes, please hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate that. Also, any other positive reviews on uh, whatever other platform you might be listening to this on. Also, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us on at, rather, themidnightwatchpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on instagram and also uh facebook yes absolutely and thanks already everybody for the feedback that we've been receiving it's been pretty awesome so yeah we're excited we want to keep bringing you great content and i can't wait for this next episode to drop in um a week from now so for sure yeah keep it tuned keep it keep the watch up keep up the watch (laughs) that's what i'm trying to say (laughs) keep watching and and as always (laughs) yes yes there we go and as always Keep up the watch.